so for those of you who don't know, my name is Caleb. Um, and I guess really before I you know, even go into anything, I just wanted to say thank you guys uh, for having me. So I, I don't take preaching lightly. Um, it's something that I get like physically nervous over just because you know, you're handling God's word. I just squeaked in my throat. You can tell <laughs> things are off to a great start. Um, but I, I really am grateful, and it's a, you know, thank you, Chris, for, for allowing me to, to be here. And, um, and so really, just full transparency time. You know, wh- when Chris asked me um, for the Sunday following Easter, um, like immediately I, I, just, I wanted to drop like a bomb sermon. Like I wanted the fire to come down. I wanted the flaming tongues. Like I, I wanted it all uh, to happen and just preach this like magnificent sermon. And so, you know, what I did, like any good pastor's kid would do, is I, I tapped into the ultimate resource being my dad. Because I know he's got like stock sermons for days. And, you know, I mean, if for some freak reason one of you all ever end up in an Andy McDonald sermon, if he says, turn your Bible to Mark 8, like strap yourself in. It's about to go down. Like that's his go to. But, um, so I, I wanted those, but like I don't have any stock sermons. I don't have. You know, anything to like really draw from and, and the more I was like looking for this just like monster awesome sermon like I kept running dry and the more I did it the more God was like revealing just junk in my heart because obviously you know I mean I'm sure we can all draw from that I was being extraordinarily selfish um, I, I was really relying on myself and and in doing that you know in, in trying to figure this out um, what God really did was he showed me um, a lot of kind of just junk that, and he was like, hey, I want you to talk about that. I was like, I really don't want to, but so here it is, you know, a guest, guest speaker uh, just talking about like his struggles and stuff, so you're welcome. Um, <laughs> but really, I think what, what was really shown to me just kind of through these last couple of weeks was, and just to put it bluntly, just complete spiritual immaturity on my end. And, and how that was really manifesting itself was just extreme undiscipline. Um, and so I know, like, you know, some of us, when we hear the word discipline immediately, like, we start to cringe stuff because we don't want to be disciplined. And then on top of that, it's like, who's this ugly-looking 12-year-old telling me to be disciplined? <laughs> I'm 26, so back up. But, um, but you know, and, and a lot of what I'm going to say it might seem elementary, and, and whenever I was kind of like going through these feelings and what I felt God was teaching me, I was like, I'm, you know, I should know that. I've been, you know, going to church my entire life. Like I mentioned, my dad's a pastor. Um, I've professed faith since I was six years old, and so kind of these things that he was, he was evoking within me, I was like, this is stuff that kids deal with, not, you know, grown men that are in seminary, but I, I really ultimately feel like the reason why he, you know, he, he made it very clear this is kind of the direction that he wanted to go is because I, I truly feel I'm not alone. Um, in even the most mature believers can fall into stints of immaturity and, and you know, stints of really just selfishness is kind of how it manifested itself. So, um, and so where, where I'm going to be reading out of it is uh, Ephesians 4, uh, 1 through 6. And, and so I'm just going to go ahead, read that, pray, and then, and then talk a little bit about that. But... Um, It says, therefore, I, Paul, uh, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, 
being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you also were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all and through all and in all. Pray you, please. Um, God, I, I thank you for uh, this opportunity um, to be here as, as the church, uh, to gather under the name of Jesus. And so God, I, sh- I ask that you would just, you, you take this time and, and you make it for yourself, God, that you would magnify yourself in these few minutes that we're together. Um, please remove me, any obstacles that I bring to the table. Um, God, we're, we're here to magnify your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. But, so, um, again, like I said, it, Sunday after Easter, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm real excited. Still, like, you know, I mean, I d- didn't take away from the excitement, just changing the direction here, but, um, and, and like Chris mentioned, I, I do work for N2 Publishing, and, and full disclosure, I am, like, very obnoxious with my allegiance to N2. Like, you know, some people are like, I love my job, but, like, if I had, like, an N2 bell, I would ring it, like, just to show you. I, I don't know why a bell is where my mind went, but I love my job. Like, I love the company that I work for, and, um, what we do is we do neighborhood magazines, but I guarantee you if you were to ask all 230 people that work at the Wilmington office, n- none of them care about magazines. No one is there because they have a passion for neighborhood publications. Everyone's there because they like working there. You know, they, they want that job. And, um, you know, there are some people, it takes them three, four, five applications just to get hired on. And so what, what happens, you know, and I've been there for two years, so I've seen this happen a couple of times, is that, you know, people get brought into this incredible company culture, this incredible work environment. You know, I'm sure April Minton would attest to that, but she's suffering in Hawaii, so pray for her. Um, <laughs> but amen, it's an amen. But when people get brought into the team, it, it really is, you're faced with two choices. Wow, this place is great. I'm going to work really hard. Wow, this place is great. I'm just going to hang out and not do anything. And I've seen both of them happen. And so, really, w- what we're seeing is kind of with the resurrection and with this passage, Paul is going to be drawing on the gospel, and you're really left with a crossroads of, wow, this is great, I'm going to do something, or, wow, this is great, I'm just going to play the sidelines. And, and so, you know, in looking at it, really, I would say the first thing to notice is the very first thing when, when he says, I therefore. So uh, Liz and I, we taught a Christian kids camp uh, called Center Kid, and the big thing to do for kids, like that, they just really loved it for some reason, was, hey, when you see the word therefore in the Bible, it's there for a reason. <laughs> um, but, and, and so th- this specific one, this one that Paul's saying therefore, is he's drawing on the first three chapters of Ephesians. So Ephesians is split up six chapters, the first half is kind of like a theology gospel presentation, and the second half is more practicality. And so here, he's transitioning out of the gospel proclamation. He's saying, therefore, because of all of this information, here's what we're going to do. And you know, I, I would contend that um, kind of the, the, the pinnacle of Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 is Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, which I'm sure a lot of us are familiar with. You know, it says, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. It's by grace that you've been saved. And and so, you know, we're coming off the the tales of, you know, not just just restoration, not just Wilmington, but, you know, the church as a whole, last week, all around the world, 
we were celebrating the resurrection and we were all, you know, championing what Christ has done on our behalf and that, you know, his claims are truthful, he is real, and he's sitting at the right hand of God now. You know, we celebrate that, but now we truly are left with what's next? What are we going to do with that? And so, like in this verse, I, therefore, because of the gospel, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. And so, this is the one that wrecked me. This is the one that really got me. Because if you really read Paul's charge, that is a weighty thing that he is putting on all believers. So walk, and I'm sure we can all gather from that, walk is just how you act. And then the calling with which you've been called is to your salvation, to the gospel. So basically what Paul is saying is act, conduct yourselves in a manner that reflects the gospel. So you are charged to show the watching world the love of Christ. And, and, and he, here's, here's where I was getting mixed up, was because I was trying to do this walk on my own accord. And, and, you know, I'm sure that all of us, you know, when we hear that, we're like, yeah, Caleb, we know, like, you don't do things on your own. You, you draw from the Spirit and stuff like that. But, you know, we, we can get so caught up in life and, and in circumstances and, and work and our jobs that we completely miss the fact that we have slowly but surely stopped relying on the Holy Spirit and started relying on ourselves. And I can tell you through experience, it's miserable and it's fruitless, you cannot possibly, you, you cannot in a million years ever fathom walking in a manner that displays the gospel, doing it of your own accord. It's just not going to happen. And so, you know, th- this is really where I started to wrestle with the discipline because I wasn't disciplining myself to do just these basic tenets of Christianity. You know, the, the basic thing of reading your Bible, praying, fasting, just these things that we see all throughout Scripture that, you know, I'm sure we all don't really pay mind to because we're so used to Christianity. You know, we're lucky to be in a culture where, you know, we don't have to fight tooth and nail to read a Bible. You know, I've got eight on my shelf at home. Um, but so we can grow used to it. And with that, you know, I was becoming very um, undisciplined. And, you know, another thing that I, I was really wrestling with when thinking about discipline is for some reason, discipline is now associated with legalism. And, and in that, you know, when someone hears, you know, if, I, if I'm going to tell you you have to do these things, your mind, our minds automatically jump to, oh, that's legalism. But what legalism is saying is you have to do X, Y, and Z, and then you'll be brought into the family of God. What the gospel and the Bible says is you have been brought into the family, now you do these things as a means of your sanctification, as a means of your becoming holy, ultimately to be more like Christ, to be with Christ. And, and so, you know, d- discipline, it, it's not something that, you know, it's just some random idea. It's throughout scripture. I mean, Second Peter 1.5, make every effort to add to your faith. You, Philippians 2.12, work out your faith with fear and trembling. And so it's, it's obviously there that, you know, we have the charge to act in some sort of manner and, and to, you know, display the gospel to the world. And so, uh, you know, I, I've got a friend of mine. Uh, his name is Tom. Tom and I, um, we bonded over the fact that we're both from Kentucky. We're a very proud people that don't wear shoes. Um, <laughs> but Tom, uh, he's a pastor in New York City, and uh, we both worked an event in Florida where we got to know each other pretty well. And and he was, he was telling me about, you know, he got saved as a teenager. And, you know, he, he can show you right now to this day. He has the Bible. Um, he would go to church, and, and the preacher would, 
you know, had these just profound sermons, like these really, really great, you know, eloquent speeches and things like that. And all in the, the margins of uh, Thomas' Bible are the letters YBH. So it'll be next to some really great passage, YBH. It's littered throughout the entire thing. And, and what it meant was, yes, but how? And, and so all the time he was thinking, like, yes, I agree with you, but how do I do that? What am I doing here? And so, you know, the, the, the yes, but how here, I, I, I feel like we can all kind of agree. It's, it's pretty simple. It's to read, and, and it's, it's to pray. And, and again, like I said, that, that sounds so elementary, but how used to Christianity are we in America where, where we can just log on and, and Google Bible verses and kind of get our religious fix for the day? Um, but it, it, in actuality, this is the most important thing here. When, when considering, I want to live a godly life, I want to live according to the gospel— you know, how, how could you possibly even think of that if you're not going to where the gospel is, where you first heard the gospel from the scripture, the one who gave you the gospel? How can you possibly do that? And so, you know, really, just in considering those two main tenets of the faith, um, you know, I, th- I, I was reading, I thought it really interesting, just the power of the actual words of Jesus. Like, if you read and kind of see the things he was saying and, like, look into the story, you know, you, you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about here. So John 1, 47 through 49. So this is Jesus is, you know, assembling his disciples. Um, and so one of them, you know, says, tells a guy, Nathaniel, hey, Nathaniel, come check out this guy named Jesus from Nazareth. And Nathaniel's like, nothing good comes from Nazareth. Why would I want to do that? So I don't know how, how it all happens, but eventually Nathaniel goes to see Jesus. And, and it starts here in, in 47. It says, Jesus saw Nathaniel coming to him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered and said, uh, said to him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. So, you know, w- w- when you hear that, I-, I like to, you know, put myself kind of in the, the biblical character's shoes and just kind of see how I would react. And so, kind of like the modern twist of someone being like, Oh, hey, check it out. That's Caleb. He's from Shelbyville, Kentucky. He loves Jesus. And I'm sure, like many of you, I would be like, hmm, interesting. How do you know that? And then the person says, saw you under a tree. And I'm going to be like, that's weird. That's very weird. And I'm sure not a lot of us are also going to think if someone's like, hey, I saw you under a tree. You love God. You're probably going to be like, that's pretty weird. But obviously, with Jesus saying, I saw you under the fig tree, Nathaniel instantly recognized there is something different about him. And, and when the word of God goes out, when Jesus' words go out, you know, they really do what scripture says. They really do pierce to the bone, and they speak to us on a much deeper level than we really could ever imagine. Um, you know, an- another instance of the power of God's word, you know, you see in, in the garden, on uh, John 18, whenever Jesus is being arrested, um, you know, the, the soldiers, they ask Jesus, you know, are you Jesus? Are you the one calling yourself the Messiah? And in John eighteen six it says, So when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So Jesus just said the words, I am he, and, and they fell. They physically fell down. And, and so the same words that caused people to fall down, the same words that caused Nathaniel to instantly recognize that Jesus was the Christ, we have at our disposal every single day. And, and so it just... It, Again, going back to, you know, kind of like this introspective look at myself, I just realized how I was taking the Word of God for granted and just not reading it. And even when I did, 
it was like, okay, I got my one verse of the day from, you know, the, the Bible app. We're good. Like, let's move on. But, you know, if, if we truly do want to live this life, you know, understanding and hearing the words of God is paramount. Um, and, you know, you, you've also got uh, prayer. You know, and, and I feel like prayer is that one that, like, we, we really probably could be the easiest one that we still can sometimes neglect in our life because it's as simple as, you know, on your way to work uh, in the car, you know, you can pray then. And, um, you know, the Bible specifically talks about Jesus. You know, there's um, 25 different accounts of Jesus' prayers, and, you know, I'd, I'd be willing to bet there are, you know, innumerable more prayers that just didn't get recorded in his lifetime. And, you know, there, there are specific instructions on praying. And, you know, overall, uh, there's 650, about, about 650 total recorded prayers uh, 450 of which we see explicitly get answered, you know, the desire of the prayer, and it gets answered in the text. And so, you know, I, I really feel like we can all draw from that one, like, there is importance of prayer, but also prayer does change things. You know, even if we're not specifically seeing the desired outcome that we want, you know, obviously in Scripture and, you know, if you look past it in your own life, you know, you can see answered prayers and so it's just these, these two real basic things to tie your heart to God and to understand and, and gather, you know, his thoughts and his words, not your own, you know, as we're seeking out to walk in this manner that's worthy of the gospel. And so, you know, one of the unique things about the gospel and about walking in it is that um, although, you know, we live in a very you know, individualistic culture, very, you know, self-centered um, the message of Christianity is very much a, commun- a community thing. You know, it's not just an individual thing where this is my faith, it's not your faith, you leave me alone. It's, you know, we're, we're in this together. It, and so it's kind of the progression um, of the passage is, you know, therefore, let's remember the gospel, let's walk according uh, to that gospel. And when we do that, you know, how are we going to be dealing with one another? And it continues to say it's, uh, you know, with all humility and gentleness with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Um, you know, the, the, these are the byproducts of that, you know, disciplining yourself to, you know, spend time with God, as simple as that. And, you know, I- these are, if you look at all these, they're really countercultural to what we're being told. Again, we're very, you know, individualistic, selfish society. It's all about promoting yourself, you know. Um, the NFL draft just happened a couple of days ago, and it's like the guys that are making headlines are the ones that, like, I'm going to be the next Hall of Famer. I'm the best one. And we're all like, yeah, you go, buddy. But, like, in actuality, like, what, what the Christian life is calling us to is to not do that, to esteem others over yourself. And, and you know, there, there's one specifically that I think we, we all are going to experience in, in you know, some form or facet um, being a part of the local church, and that's on the tail end of that verse where it says showing tolerance for one another in love. Now what that's not, um, what it's not saying is that if there is someone, uh, you know, among the body that is blatantly in unrepentant sin, it's not telling us to just let them do their thing. You know, they'll, they'll eventually get it and obviously speak the truth in love. But when you get involved in someone's life, it will get messy because, as I'm sure we've all experienced in our life in some form or facet, life does get tough. Um, you know, w- w- when I saw that, I, I really thought of, you know, a, a brother um, in the faith that I have. You know, I, I used to work for um, the Verizon call center here in town. I have no issue doxing them. It's the worst job in the world. Um, <laughs> it, it, was, it was awful. Every day, 
you go in, you take calls, people are screaming, they're cussing at you, and you're like, okay, here's 15 bucks, go about your day. Um, and the normal human could hear someone screaming and cussing them and be like, oh, they're not mad at me, they're just mad at the circumstance. But me, Caleb, I took everything personally. Every single insult that got hurled my way, I would come home just in tears, like, Liz, why'd they say this to me? And she'd be like, Caleb, they're not, they're not actually talking to you. And I'd be like, no, they are. They hate me. And so it, it, was, it was nine months of that. Um, but within that, you know, by, by the grace of God, he, he placed leaders in my life. And, and there was one individual that week in and week out, and I know, I know he probably went home and, like, told his wife, Caleb is the most exhausting person in the world every week. He hates his job. He hates his life. But week in and week out, it was, hey, let's pray through this. Hey, let's talk about this. You know, what happened? That does stink. I'm sorry he said that to you. You know, kind of consoling like a child. But, but the thing, yeah, so like, okay, that ha- I have no shame. I did that, yes. But the fact of the matter is, like, I don't think any of us are immune to that happening to us. I don't think we're, any of us are immune to going through a season of life where we do need that individual. And so, you know, in, in our, our studies of the Scripture, and us allowing the gospel to take hold in our life, it allows the capacity to deal with those more difficult individuals that are going through the more difficult seasons of life because they need the gospel and they need the message just as much as we do, even though it might be a little more difficult or, or inconvenient to us. Um, and then, you know, the tail end, the, the sec- second half of that verse is, you know, with all humility and gentleness, patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And so right there, like, I'm not going to say like I told you also, but like being diligent, it is blatantly obvious that there is work involved with the faith. So I was right. Thank you. Um, but, you know, um, when we're doing this, the goal, you know, we're, again, we're seeing this progression of, you know, how we deal with one another. And then, you know, what's the goal of being here? What's the goal of the body in and of itself? Why are we doing these things? We're doing these for unity. You know, we're, we're seeking unity amongst each other so that way we can go out and we can proclaim to the world, you know, the, the, the mysteries of the gospel. And we, we can proclaim the gospel. And, you know, h- how are we going to be diligent um, w- to preserve the unity? Well, we're going to treat each other with humility and gentleness and patience and show tolerance for one another. And then how are we going to do that? We're going to walk according to the gospel. We're going to base our life off of that. And it ultimately, it's going to draw us right back to that therefore at the very beginning. It's all stemming from the gospel. Once we have a proper understanding of the gospel, you know, these little things are all going to fall into place. So that way we, as a unified church, Big C, are able to, to go and, and proclaim the message. Um, and then how, how Paul kind of wraps this specific section up coming out of, you know, this deep theological writing um, into the more practical one is he reminds us of how we're going. You know, you are going, there is one body and one spirit. So, so when he's saying one body, there is one church. So it's not like we have to, like, divide ourselves up into different factions. It's one unified effort one body with one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God the Father who is over all and through all and in all. And so, um, obviously, 
we have a call to be unified, not just because it's a good thing, but we're unified because the gospel is one unified message, and it's all coming into one summation that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, he has done what he said he has done, and he will come back as promised for all of us. And so, you know, kind of with the tail end of Easter and, and you know, how we're, how we're going to respond to the gospel message, you know, I, I feel like I don't have to tell the believer that the goal is to go and share the good news of Jesus Christ. And the confidence that you can have is, I feel like at the very end of this, one God and Father who is over all and through all and in all. That same God that saved you and me, that same God that sent his son to the cross. You know, Matthew 28, the Great Commission, it says that he is with us always to the end of the age. So as we, you know, we go out throughout the rest of our week, we don't have to be scared we don't have to be super nervous talking in front of, you know, 15, 18 people about God. You know, we can go out boldly and fearlessly and proclaim the gospel. And, you know, my encouragement to everybody here is, you know, don't, don't be, take the example that I had for the past, you know, I don't know how long it's been. I, I don't know when the last time I assessed my lack of spiritual discipline. But truly think about it. You know, think about your prayer life. Think about your reading. Think about how you're letting the gospel infiltrate every aspect of your being because there's no possible way that we can walk according to the gospel outside of the gospel itself, outside of Jesus. So, um, you know, and if that is you and, you know, you obviously need someone that's just as messed up as you to talk to, I am here. I'm more than happy to talk to you about that. Um, But thank you guys so much, and uh, let's pray real quick.